0: to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Colossians
1: 3, starting at verse 1. Since then... In the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, we're continuing our look
0: at Colossians uh, and thinking about gospel spirituality as opposed to Western spirituality. And as Part of that, we've been considering how one of the major narratives in Western spirituality is the pursuit of wholeness, or the pursuit of wellness and happiness at the expense of all other things. Uh, One of the ways I've seen this recently is in a book by Arianna Huffington uh, of Huffington Post. Uh, She started that, got that going. Um, She's a fantastic, incredible woman, really. Uh, The things she's got up have been Remarkable, uh, but she found herself three years into the startup of Huffington Post, uh, unconscious on the floor of her office, having passed out and hit her head on the way down. And her life had got so consumed with uh, the work and the power and the, and the money that she'd kind of lost all perspective. And so she wrote this book, Thrive, in response to that, suggesting that power and money aren't enough. You need this third thing. And she articulates that kind of picture of wellness and wholeness that is kind of pervasive through all of spirituality at the moment. And the core thing really at the center of that, as she expresses it, and as she, she kind of really proactively promotes it through Huffington Post, you make sure lots of articles are posted about it, is that the way to live a flourishing, whole you know, authentic life is to know who the real you is and then enact it in every part of yourself. And so you get things on having them post like 10 steps to getting to know the real you this year. But when I look at the list, which I always do, I look at them and I think, yeah, I do like to be alone. That's true. Uh, I I'd, I'd like to be present and curious. And I like to sleep. These are all great things, but if this is the spirituality of the Western world, I have to confess, it's very boring. If this is the road to my most authentic, flourishing, interesting self, why is it so uninteresting? I was reading a little bit of Christopher Lash. Uh, who describes that basically the reason why we've settled for this picture of wholeness, wellness, and thriving is because we've actually lost all hope at all. Having no hope of improving their lives in any of the ways that matter. People have convinced themselves that what matters is psychic self-improvement. Getting in touch with their feelings, eating healthy food, taking lessons in ballet or belly dancing, Immersing themselves in the wisdom of the East, jogging, learning how to relate, and overcoming the fear of pleasure. It's a fairly damning description, but I think it unearths the bedrock of Western spirituality. Hopelessness. There is nothing coming, and there is nothing better, so the most authentic thing you can do is to find something unique in yourself and enact it in every way you can. The spirituality we have is the one we have settled for because we've lost hope in anything bigger. When you come to Colossians 3, I think you see both an affirmation of Western spirituality and a huge critique. I think Colossians 3 says, yes, you're right. Find your most authentic self and enact it in all of your life. It's just that the destination and the power to get there are much different than you might imagine. Colossians 3 says that the most authentic, truest, realist you is you in the presence of Jesus Christ. It is the Jesus-shaped version of yourself. And a life lived growing in likeness to that self is not boring. It is remarkable, though costly, though death-defying at times. And it is the thing that you were made for, that all Western spirituality is but a poor reflection of. And so I want to keep that in mind above us as we journey through Colossians 3 tonight. And we're going to just look at three things. The real you... The old you and the new you. The real you, the old you, and the new you. First of all, the real you. Because Paul launches into this chapter, coming out of the last one, having debunked all of empty religiousness and rituals and rules, and opens instead by defining for us, what, a tr- what is the true reality of someone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ? And you know what? He doesn't start with hopelessness. He starts with hope. He starts with the fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from his grave and has been seated at the right hand of God, has ascended into a powerful place in heaven. But the remarkable thing he says is that for those who put their trust in Jesus, they have been raised with him and seated with him in the heavenly realms to the extent that it can be said that their life is now hidden with Christ, where Christ is. If you were to put a GPS signal on a Christian, it would read heaven. It's kind of like a a roller coaster. You know roller coasters. Some of you are so young that you've probably never you never went to Wonderland, which is really depressing to me. But you know roller coasters. You look at them and you think, Am I really going to do this? Do I really want to go that fast? Do I really want to go upside down? Do I really get dropped off a cliff like that? And the answer is no, you don't. But you will. You strap yourself into the car. And where the car goes, you go. When it goes upside down, you go upside down. When it goes off the cliff, you go off the cliff. When it goes 100 kilometers an hour, you go 100 kilometers an hour. When you're in the roller coaster car, you go where it goes. Jesus Christ is like the ultimate spiritual roller coaster car. When you are in him, you've been where he has been. When he went into the grave, you died with him. When He was raised up from the grave, you were raised with Him. When He went into heaven, He took you right up there with Him. Your truest, deepest, most authentic self is Him. So that when He appears in glory in verse verse 4, that is when you will actually appear. The Jesus-shaped, eternal, unending, heavenly you. That is the real you. It is not inside you. It is up there with him. You know, one way to understand this um, is to think of a woman I heard about once in New York. And she spent a lot of her young life in a lot of relationships that weren't so great for her. And that left her, after a while, in a really sad position of financial loss and really kind of emotional turmoil. At that point, she started going to church, and she started seeing a counselor, both of which are great things. Uh, And and she went into the counselor, and the counselor looked at her life and what she was describing and said, you know, for most of your adult life, you found your sense of self in the man you've been dating. It's time to stop that. It's time to build a career for yourself. It's time to get a house for yourself. It's time to get an income for yourself and to build a sense of self-esteem out of those things. She nodded, she heard, she walked out. She contemplated. She's like, yeah, she's right on. I was find, I've been finding it all in those men. And I, I get that my career is important and I should become financially viable and that's really good and it's really important. But I feel like she's telling me to not find my identity in men but to find it in my career and I don't think that's going to work. She walked into church and someone was preaching from Colossians 3 and she said, ah, there it is. My life is not hidden in any man. My life is not hidden in my career or my bank account. My life is hidden in Christ. My sense of self, my authentic true self, is with Him and in Him and through Him and for Him. You see, where you think your deepest, truest self is is where you will throw all your energy. If you think it is found in romance, you'll find all your energy going after finding the one. If you think it is in your career, you'll go at no stops and and not stop during the night in order to win the place you think you need. If it's in your bank account, then you do that to the exclusion of all other things. But if if it is in heaven with Jesus Christ, then then what happens is your heart gets set on things above. Your mind gets fixed on where he is instead. Because where you think your authentic self is, that is where all your energy goes. And Paul says the real you is in heaven with Jesus. The real you is an eternal, heavenly, Jesus-shaped version of the person you are right now. And that is the person you are to enact and seek as you seek to glorify Jesus in everything that you are. That is the real you. But that requires action. And it actually casts a rather poor light on what Paul wants to call the old you, the old self, which we'll move on to now. What does he say to do in light of the fact that your truer self is with Jesus? What are you to do with this old self? It says in verse 5 put it to death. Which is kind of like the word necros, means to completely disable, to completely obliterate, eliminate, immobilize. No quarter given, put to death. Now that might seem extreme, but the reality is is we always do that when we make an identity decision in life. We say, I am this, and therefore I'm not this, and I'm not that. I'm this type of hairstyle, no more bobs, you know? Whatever we choose is our truest self, we put to death the rest, and the same is true here. But look at this picture, look at this picture, it's dark, It's, it's full on, but it's here. Uh, He describes this old self, our current selves, as kind of overrun with desire. Sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desire and greed. He's describing in humans good desires that have grown out of control and have become masters sex is a great thing it's a good desire having money and security great things good desires family relationships these are all fantastic things but when they become the thing that that is the only thing you trust in for your happiness they become what he calls idolatry they become the mastering piece of your identity they become the thing in which you find your life is hidden And they are the source of all the ugliness in humanity. And Paul goes one step further in verse 6 than ugliness. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Which is a big thing, especially if you haven't heard it very much. But if you think even just recently in some of the things that have been happening in our world, if you think of the, the Me Too movement, the call for powerful men who let their sexual drive become their mastering desire to the, the denigration of every woman around them. At the moment, society has nothing but wrath and condemnation for that. Abhorrence of that. When we see that happening, when we see the desires mastering people at the expense of others, we come out in wrath against it. What Paul says is that, well, actually, God is looking on to all of us and we, we have not just have desires out of control, we have desires that have displaced Him. How much more and deep and true should the immortal, invisible, wise, incredible God be appalled at our desires? The wrath of God is coming, He says on these things. He, he goes on to talk about how we all walked in this and, and how from the overflow of these desires or all these things from our lips like anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and lying, like these desires well up in us, this kind of general hatred toward other people who get in the way of what we need. Desires overriding us and hate-filled tongues is the picture of the old self. The old you. But notice something very important for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, that whole paragraph is in the past tense. You see it in uh, verse 8. No, you don't. Verse 7. You used to walk in these things. In the life you once lived. And then in verse 9 he says, don't lie to each other. Why? Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Remember the roller coaster? Jesus Christ has taken you into his grave. He's borne you on his cross. And that means that your old, desire-ridden, hate-filled self has been already put in the grave. It's already been taken off you. The good news is when you trust Jesus is that the wrath that's coming doesn't come on you. And that your desires are no longer your master's. And your your tongue is no longer filled with hate. That's not who you are anymore. It's the old you. The one that Jesus took into the grave with him. The one you've taken off to take on a new self, being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. I had a couple of friends when they first got married who used to enact this with each other in a really cute, slightly strange way. Um, when they saw one or the other of them gossiping or being malicious or lying or something, they kind of maybe go up to them, and they'd be like, "Buddy, just um, just a little bit of yeah, a little bit of old self there. I'm just gonna get it off for you, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just be, you know." paying attention to each other. When they say something like, no, 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 that's old you. That's not new you. Get that off. There's a, that's a little bit on your teeth right there. A little bit on your lips. You know, There's a little bit in your eyes. Get rid of that old self. It's not you anymore. Just shake it off because you can because Jesus took it in the grave. That is the old you, destined for wrath, taken into the grave by Jesus. But notice, we're to, we're to take the old self seriously. We have to put it to death. We are to enact its demise, which has happened in Jesus Christ. We are to end it. Because of it, the wrath of God is coming. And instead, we are to put on the new self. And and the new you that Paul describes is stunning. He he paints this picture, this list of virtues that together are a picture of Jesus Christ, really, in all of his perfection. He talks about how, therefore, as dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other, forgive each other, and bind on love as kind of the final, completing piece of it all. This is um, one of uh, a list of kind of virtues. All through the ancient world, in ancient texts, you have lists of virtues like this. And the thinking behind them was that they were things not just you, you kind of vibe them, oh, I kind of want to be kind today. Um, they were things you purposefully enacted until they became settle, sed- settled patterns of behavior in you. So Aristotle said if, if you want to be a just person, do just acts. You know, if you want to be a kind person, you have to be continually enacting kindness until there's a settled part of the person that you are. Now, there's some really interesting research about this, actually. Some nerds made up a a phrase called enclosed cognition. Isn't that great? So nerdy. And they did this great experiment where they got a group of people and they divided them in two. And they put before them this quite detailed, uh, concentration-heavy task. And for one group, they gave them painter's smocks, and they put on their painter's smocks. Um, And the other group got to put on doctor's cloaks. And what happened is, when they went and came and did the task, is that the people in the doctor's cloaks did the task better. They concentrated longer. They smashed the task. Which is really funny when you think about the psychology of these people putting on these jackets, going, yes, finally, (laughs) I'm a doctor. do this. But the conclusion they came to as part of this study is that the clothes we consciously put on speak to us about the type of behaviors we want to enact. The clothes we put on speak to us about what we should consciously enact. And this is exactly what is happening here. This, This idea of clothing ourselves with the clothing of Jesus Christ is that we're kind of consciously putting on these things and setting out into situations, kind of living out and enacting our truest, eternal, Jesus-shaped self. So when you walk into your workplace tomorrow morning and you walk into that board meeting where you think everyone is insane but you, you say to yourself, for all of eternity, I will be someone who bears with others patiently and I'm going to clothe myself in Jesus Christ and I'm going to get into this. When you walk into the family gathering where you're feeling judgmental about all the people around you and you think, I can't shake this judgmentalness, you say, no, no, this isn't the real me, this is the old me, the new me, the eternal me, the Jesus-shaped me comes into this with compassion and kindness and gentleness and I'm going to clothe myself in with them and I'm going to enact my true self as I enter into these situations. That's the picture that Paul is saying here, that we're to take up these virtues knowing that they are the true us, they are the the authentic Jesus-shaped us. And as we do that in every situation, as he says in verse 17, in in every way giving thanks to Jesus through them, we will start to be renewed in the image of our Creator. As the Holy Spirit bears us up and remakes us, we are to enact in every place our new self. Let me make this real practical as we close. Three really practical things about how this actually works. The first is that, What I've just told you about, you need to actually think through. So if there's a situation where you're constantly being the old you, you have to have a look at the lists and go, well, what's happening? What am I naked with, you know, from or whatever? You know, am I not taking kindness as Jesus would or gentleness or patience? In the situations... Where your old self is showing through, identify the aspects of new self you need to consciously enact in the Spirit's power to grow and move forward. That's the first thing. The second thing is that there is no way you can do it on your own. Verse 15 and 16 are all about how this is enacted in community. It's about being the members of one body. It's about the peace of Christ ruling in our plural hearts together. It's about getting so close to each other that we can smell the old self and go, you know what, the word of God says this and you're living like this. And I want to brush that off your shoulder and say, clothe yourself in this. Brother, sister, you're forgiven but walk in this way instead. You'll never do it on your own unless you invite uh, people into your life, unless you step into Christian community. You do not have the school to form your new self. The eternal self in the place where you live right now. You cannot do it on your own. But the third thing is this. You can only become the love that you know. You can only become the love that you know. And you see this all through the back half of this passage. You know, in verse 14, we're told to put on love. But in verse 12, what are we told? We're dearly loved. We're told to forgive in verse 13, but it's as the Lord forgave you. And what is the thing that changes us? It's the the word of Christ, the message of the gospel. You see, you can only become the love that you know. When you've been forgiven by Jesus, you know how to forgive like Jesus. When you've been loved by Jesus, you know how to love like Jesus. When you've been shown compassion by Him, you show compassion to others. When you see His kindness, you can enact kindness. You can't become the love you don't know, that you haven't seen, that you haven't tasted, that you haven't experienced. And so if there's something you're battling with, the point to go to is to go, where have I seen this in my Lord Jesus? How do I experience it in Him? Because the reality is that all of us should be bound to our old self forever. And our selfishness and greed, our desires and hate-filled tongues should be bound to us and infinitely increase for all eternity. But Jesus Christ, incarnate Son of God, came down. And on the cross as He died, do you know what He did? He clothed Himself in you. In your desire-ridden, hate-filled self, He took it on like an overcoat and bore the wrath that should come on you so that... You could take up His almighty, forgiving, compassionate, gentle, incredible love. You see, when your heart and your soul is fixed on that and you feel it in your bones, you will know that your life is hidden in Him, your life is about Him, and in every situation, you will have the power to take up His clothes and enact your eternal self for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we come confessing the old self we've seen in ourselves even as we've sat in our seats this evening. Some of us feel so bound by desires that feel out of control. Some of us feel like we cannot stop hating. Some of us feel Feel the reality that maybe that wrath will come on us. And yet, Father, the old self is gone in Christ. The wrath is taken. Father, release us, we pray this evening, from the things that no longer bind us. And instead, in the power of your Spirit, enable us to enact and take on the perfection of Jesus Christ to grow daily, not in our wholeness, not in our happiness, but in our cultivating His presence and person in our living flesh. That when we arrive in glory, we will delight in being like Him. And we pray this for the glory of His name. Amen.